it's Judy Cohen, and this is Wake Up Call 403. I'm really glad to be back. It's it's really nice to see you, or at least to see your names. I'm thinking about starting to turn on my video on the Wake Up Call, so let me know what you think. But of course, that would that would also mean I can't do the Wake Up Call in my PJs, so I have to think about it. Anyway, most of you know I've been on a longish retreat, 18 days at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. The, the teachers were Guy Armstrong and Sally Armstrong and Susie Harrington and Tuari Salah, and they were really phenomenal. I learned a lot. The conditions on the retreat very much support that learning. It's basically meditation all day with meal breaks and no phones, internet, silence including no gestures, no eye contact. So there's, there's really nothing to do but sit and walk, plus instructions each morning and a talk each night, which is on the philosophical elements of, of the practice. And the first nine days, we did concentration practice. So if you recall, concentration is the sixth factor of the seven factors of awakening, as well as the last step of the Eightfold Path. And according to the teachings, right concentration is the establishing of the mind in the absence of distraction, it being firm, collected, tranquil, concentrated, and mentally unified. So, don't know that that was completely accomplished, but I feel like concentration practice is, is really practical. So, intensive practice doesn't translate so well into everyday life, but at least for me, it, it does cultivate a better day-to-day -day concentration. I notice that my concentration is really a bit better despite stepping back into a really busy, multifaceted world, and, and some of it has attenuated, but that's okay. It's a training. It's like mindfulness, right? Over time, the habits of the mind shift, so I have some evidence from personal experience, which is what we're always looking for, and some confidence in that shift, so we'll see. The second nine days of the retreat were awareness practice. And here's a quote about that um, from our study guide. And it's from a book, uh, Intuitive Awareness, which was written by Ajahn Sumedho, who's an American who ordained in the Thai forest mindfulness tradition in 1967. And uh, he's still alive. He's still teaching. And he's been pivotal in bringing mindfulness to the West. With intuitive awareness, we are taking our refuge in awareness, which is expansive, unlimited. Thought and mental con conception create boundaries. The body is a boundary. Emotional habits are boundaries. Language is a boundary. Words expressing feelings are also boundaries. Joy, sorrow, and neutrality are all conditioned and dependent upon other conditions. What transcends all of this, we begin to recognize through awakening. So you could see the second half of the retreat was a little more esoteric, and it was a lot of fun shifting perception from experience to awareness. I may share more about that later. Throughout the retreat, the teachers interwove the teachings of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. There were special practice times for this, and also the evening talks very much emphasized that these divine abodes, as they're known, are not separate but are integral to our practice and life. On a day-to-day -day level, they're, 
They're about remembering that when we're meditating and we notice the mind has strayed from the breath or sound or whatever our chosen object of awareness is, and we make the choice to come back, we do that with kindness or, or love, really. Love for the practice, for ourselves, for all beings, for the earth. And one talk in particular really brought that home for me in a new way. And it was one of Tuari Salah's teachings. And it was a teaching on compassion, which is the second of those divine abodes. But in Tuari's way of talking about it, they're all love, right? So I also really love that. And Tuari is a former prosecutor. So she's one of us, as well as being a remarkable mindfulness teacher. And her talks were, they were scholarly. But they were also deeply grounded in her own life and in a life in the law. So the one I want to share a little bit about is the one in which she talked with so much love about attending to our own pain and suffering. So when I talk about following the breath and when my own teachers talk about that, one benefit I name and they name is that doing this creates a space between stimulus and response, as Viktor Frankl either said or didn't say. There's some controversy about that. And in that space, wisdom can arise. So I read or I hear or I see something, and I'm in the habit, because of my practice, I'm in the habit of taking a breath or a few breaths. <laughs> And watching my reaction, which might be shock or dismay or anger. So that's the first part. And then caring about myself and how the moment feels, especially if it's a moment of suffering. And if so, being self-compassionate, remembering my own goodness, and then deciding what to say or do, or you could say discerning what to say or do. And because of that time that I've taken to breathe and observe and care and discern, my response is, theoretically anyway, kinder and wiser. So you probably recognize this as the portable practice of stop, stop, take a breath, observe with kindness and love, and proceed. And by the way, I used to just say observe, but I'm adding observe with kindness and love and proceed. So to me, this is at the heart of our practice. And Tuari suggested something which I'm sitting with and want to share and which has really changed my practice. And, you know, <laughs> it might be something I've heard before. It might be something I've heard a hundred times before. But one thing that I've noticed about studying mindfulness is that you know, just as there's truth in that old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I'd also say when the student is ready, the teaching appears, right? So, so maybe I'd heard it, but I wasn't ready to take it in. And now, now I've heard it and I took it in a little bit. And what Tuari said is that in that space we create for wisdom to arise, suffering also arises. And this is completely obvious. You know, we sit, and as we sit, wisdom arises, but so do all the difficult things. You know, memories that bring sadness or chagrin, worries that cause anxiety, you know, to-do lists that feel overwhelming, old grudges, plans for revenge. You know, we're lawyers, right? And that this is 
this is a feature. As Gulu Singh would say, it's one of my favorite catchphrases of his. He's another lawyer and mindfulness teacher. He's a dear friend. He's a fellow core teacher in the mindfulness and law teacher training. So as Gulu always says, this is a feature, not a bug, right? That the sorrows and frustrations and traumas of the past, the projections into the future, the worries, the anxieties, these come up in that space too, because that's what's supposed to happen. You know, that we aren't practicing so these things won't arise or even with the expectation that they'll attenuate over time, although that might happen, right? We're practicing to make space for them so that we can get used to being with them and tolerate them, tolerate our own suffering, right? So that we can do two things, right? So these things come up. And we make space for them so that we can be with them with love, with compassion, so that we can do two things. Make whatever changes we need to make in ourselves to be kinder, more compassionate, and wiser humans and lawyers. Not that those two things are different, humans and lawyers. But yeah, making, making the changes we need because now we see what is coming up. And, and that's really important. That's something that Tuari really emphasized to me. I went into a meeting to talk with her about this after, after she named it because I was so struck by this teaching. And the second thing is to get up off our cushion or our chair and go out into the world and be with what's out there, which is a whole lot of suffering, which we know, right? Because it's us, it's the lawyers. And we see it and we experience it every day. So like I said, I'm sitting with this, and since it's so resonant for me, I wanted to share it with you right away, and I hope it's useful, and hopefully I'll have, I'll have more about it at some point. And I also wanted to share that Tuari, I asked her to be one of our guest teachers next year in the 2024 Mindfulness and Law Teacher Training, and she's coming. And she actually said, I'd love to come. I have lots of stories about mindfulness and lawyers, so we're excited about that. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening, and let's sit. So finding that posture for you that is the most supportive posture, upright, but also relaxed. And yeah, relaxed because we want to bring in that love and that self-compassion. So sitting in a way that is honoring what we're doing. What we're doing here. Understanding our minds, cultivating intentional states of mind for more wisdom, more compassion.
And then locating, choosing our object of awareness. So that might be the breath. That might be the body. That might be sound. And just resting the attention on that object. Noticing the rising and falling of the breath or of the chest as we breathe or noticing the coming and going of sounds. And noticing the space that we are creating by doing this. And what, what comes into that space? What, what appears in that space? And if, if anything shows up that's difficult, or I guess when things show up that are difficult, yeah. can, we, can we meet those moments with compassion, with loving kindness? And can we let that way of meeting each moment be a kind of template for the next moment so that our experience is a series of as many moments as possible where we're meeting our own experience with love. And meeting our own experience with compassion.
And when the mind wanders and we realize that's happened and come back to the breath or the body or sound, can we do that also with love? Can we do that also with compassion? So that we're really lifting up this natural ability that we have, but that we don't always dust off and polish maybe as much as we could. This natural ability that we have to really meet each moment, whatever it is, here on our cushion and also after the bell, meet each moment with love. Creating that shift here on, on the cushion, on the chair, so that after the bell, we have a felt sense of that shift and we can begin to, or continue to, create or witness that shift in our lives with everybody, with all beings, with the earth. Thanks, everybody, for coming back to the wake-up call. It's really nice to see you. Like I said, it's nice to be back. I will see you next week. Be safe out there and be kind to yourselves. Bye.